good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program, in which a guest and I will discuss the, uh, the implications of certain texts of Scripture that helped us grow closer to Jesus Christ and His church. We're coming to you in the middle of Holy Week, and I think that that puts a particularly uh, significant um, uh, slant on our discussion today. And what I mean by that is that the scriptures that our guest has chosen today confront us with our need to truly be holy, not just look like it or sound like it, but be it, be holy. And if anything, that's what Lent is to have confronted us with. We are preparing ourselves this coming weekend to celebrate the great gift that our Lord Jesus gave for us, his life. And this Holy Week, we are um, we're, we're coming near, we're coming very close, and uh, we're examining ourselves uh, in terms of not only are we ready to receive them, but we all recognize that if we are Christians, we have already received him. But what about our lives? What about our words, um, what we claim to be? Uh, does what we show on the outside, what we say, what comes out of our lips, does that match who we really are when we stand before God face to face? We'll look at some of that today. Uh, the deepinscripture.com website is the uh, internet site connected with this program. If you go to that website, you'll see all kinds of information about the Coming Home Network International. All the archived Deep in Scripture programs are available to you. Uh, we'd love to always hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments about this program, please send, uh, call us at 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. Our guest today is a good friend, and uh, I'm anxious to have Curtis join us in a moment on this program. Curtis Martin is uh, the president and founder of FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, which is one of the fastest growing movements in the Catholic Church. If you don't know about FOCUS, you need to learn about it. And in fact, there's a website for FOCUS, focusonline.org. There's a link to that on the website. Um, <clears throat> Focus was founded in 1998 as a national outreach to college campuses, both to secular and Catholic schools. And I will say that it's been growing and it's been uh, doing really good stuff in a difficult environment, car college campuses. Lots of voices on those campuses, and a good number of those voices are there to pull our students away from Christ and his church. Well, Focus is there in the midst of of all of that cacophony to uh, give the voice for Jesus Christ in his church. Curtis holds a master's degree in theology. He's the author of the book Made for More, and he's co-authored with his wife, Michael Ann, of the book Family Matters, a scripture study on marriage and family. And he's also um, uh, a co-author of the book Boys to Men, the Transformation, Power of Virtue. He's also a contributor to the four books in the acclaimed Catholic for a Reason series. 
And he's recently filmed a cutting-edge program for the Eternal Word Television Network, Crossing the Goal. Curtis has been doing that program for a number of years, and it's it's a great program, and you need to, to watch it, and especially encourage men to tune in to Crossing the Goal on EWTN. Curtis has written articles for the Journal for the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars, Couple to Couple League, Catholic Dossier, and was awarded the inaugural Excellence in Evangelization Award by Envey Magazine. He's also been awarded very recently the 2006 John Lancaster Spalding Award from the Diocese of Peoria and the 2007 Outstanding Catholic Leadership Award uh, given by the Catholic Leadership Institute. He serves as the vice chairman of the Augustine Institute in Denver, and he's a Catholic graduate school, which is a Catholic graduate school dedicated to new evangelization. Both he and his family and his wife, Michael Ann, live in Greenlee, Colorado with their eight children. Kurt is also a great friend. He's the godfather of my youngest son. So I'm inviting to the program someone that's very close to me and someone who I know is deeply committed to Jesus Christ and his church. He's what you would call a revert to the Catholic Church. He was brought up Catholic turned his back on Catholicism, had a very deep conversion as an evangelical, was very active in the evangelical church. But then as a result of a variety of things, was brought back to the church. And we'll hear in a moment whether in fact some of these verses that he has chosen for us to look at today were influential in his journey back. He's chosen two, actually three verses, one from Luke and two from Ephesians, that all center around uh, this this idea that I mentioned earlier in the program of holiness, uh, as well as uh, really seeing who we are in the eyes of God. Let me read the first passage from Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Then the Ephesians passage from chapter 1, verse 4, and then verse 18. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Then verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. 
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. And we're joined today by Curtis Martin. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Marcus. Great to be with you. Well, you know, the only time I get to talk to you is when we're on TV or radio, it seems like, anymore, because we're both so busy and traveling around. How's the family? They're doing very well. I hope yours is doing well also. They are. They are. And uh, your godson sends you his greetings. That's always great to hear that. I hope we'll be able to see him before too long. <laughs> That's right. But, um, Curtis, it's great to have you in Deep in Scripture, and uh, I'm actually surprised it's the first time because uh, it makes sense to have you as a guest on this program because I know your commitment to studying the Word, uh, especially from uh, coming off of the time when you were, you had, you're like a sandwich, right? You had, a, you had Catholic first, then Evangelical Protestant, then Catholic afterwards. And uh, right. am I correct in saying that that little section in the middle when you spent as an evangelical really helped you gain a deep love for the Word? Absolutely. You know, and we both know there's a, a wonderful clarity about the significance, the importance, the centrality of uh, God's written Word uh, in evangelical churches. And we need to, I think, be very grateful for that clarity and that love and intensity. And I know that my love for Scripture was sharpened, deepened, uh, and became a central part of my life uh, during my time when I was uh, with and worshiping with the evangelicals. I'm very grateful, uh, and always will be, for the truths that they helped to bring into sharp focus in my life uh, during that five-year period of time. And even the Church, in its uh, documents of Vatican II, has encouraged us as Catholics to recognize that whatever the Holy Spirit has engraced in the hearts of our separated brethren is for our spiritual renewal. And when it comes to Scripture study, uh, using Scripture for prayer, um, you know, on the one hand, you and I both know that in Catholic Mass, over a lifetime, Catholics hear more Scripture read than any other Christian tradition in the world. That's the truth. But on the other hand, Catholics need to be encouraged to read the Scriptures on their own, the study on their own. I'm going to tell you something funny, Curtis, because I know you're speaking all over like I am, and you'll appreciate this. I was just speaking this last weekend at a a fundraiser for a Catholic school, and in the midst of that, I was joking a little bit about, um, you know, when I was a Protestant minister, I would preach... Rather than follow the lectionary, as we do as Catholics, I would preach through a book from cover to cover. Sure. I spent two years preaching through Ephesians, but I jokingly said that I spent four months preaching through Philemon. (laughs) And no Catholic laughed. (laughs) Now, why, why would a Protestant laugh at that joke? Because it's a very short book. Yeah, you, uh, (laughs) you, you know, Ephesians, you can read in a minute. I mean, excuse me, Philemon, you can read in a minute. So to preach three months through Philemon is a bit much. That would be challenging. But the Catholic audience, you know, didn't get it. familiarity. Because they're not familiar with Philemon. Right. And they've heard passages from Philemon as it's been brought to them. But one of the beautiful things, and I think this is what many evangelicals discover when they come into the Catholic Church, because they do have a personal knowledge of Scripture, that when the Mass, when we go to Mass, we're seeing various portions of the Scripture presented to us, but the hope of the Church is that we actually know those passages. Yeah. And so we're being reminded, rather than hearing for the fir- as if for the first time. And when we have a personal knowledge of the Scriptures, all of a sudden there's a wealth to the liturgy of the Word in the first portion of Mass, because we're not just hearing the passages read, but we're reminded of the entire context from which they come forth. And there's actually immense 
wisdom in the shared interpenetration of those contexts of those passages. Yeah. And so I think in many ways evangelicals are able to enjoy, or people who have spent time uh, in the evangelical church will be able to enjoy the liturgy of the Word in a very profound way, and why we as Catholics need to remind all of what the Catholic Church is, is saying emphatically, that we should all learn the surpassing riches of Christ through regular, frequent, daily personal reading of the sacred scriptures. Uh, it's going to make us uh, better Catholics. Yeah, where a passage is located in a biblical book is important. Yeah. Um, and if you only hear it read, especially if you only hear it read without the, the chapter-verse references, you're hearing the passage, but mentally you're not placing it in the context sure. of a larger book. You take the book of Ephesians, um, or let's take... Uh, Let's take Galatians, you know, where he says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and he gives the list. Well, that's in Ephesians or Galatians 5. 5, sure. It's not in Galatians 1. And where it is in the book, in the context of the entire letter, helps you understand the meaning of that passage. So when you study it on your own, and I'm, and I'm encouraging you, audience, to do this, when you look at the passage on your, the book on your own, you have a mental picture of where the verse fits in the context of the entire letter. And that is important. That, Marcus, how important is Imagine the Lord of the Rings. If every day you picked up the Lord, one of the, the volumes of the Lord of the Rings, and every day you memorized one paragraph, and then the next day you went back to another portion of the spot, you know, anywhere yep. in there you memorize another, it would be possible to memorize the entire three-volume set and not know what the story was. Yeah. <laughs> we need to know the context of everything. That's the narrative flow. Yeah. And we need to recognize that that's a powerful tool and one that uh, the Church, in her liturgy, presents to us, because she certainly does know. Once we begin to learn the context, I've, there have been times I've sat back and it's taken my breath away yeah. at yeah. which passages the Church has lined up uh, for us in preparation, in order God speaks kindly to us before He offers full communion to us, uh, in the intimacy of a liturgy of the Eucharist, and that's that's what the Church is hoping for. Yeah, and, and uh, Pope Benedict said something amazing. He said that he believes. I think it's the most prophetic statement I've heard him make as as Pope. He said that he is firmly convinced that the daily prayerful reading of scriptures by the faithful will bring about the new springtime. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what this program's all about, in the sense of encouraging our listeners to to get into Scripture. Oh, yeah. uh, that's what this is about. And by having a guest like yourself on here, show that there are certain Scriptures that really maybe unexpectedly awakened you to a deeper walk with Christ in His Church. You chose Luke 6, 46 first as, as the passage which let me read it again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Talk about this verse in terms of its, why did that hit you like a two-by-four? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did hit me like a two-by-four. That's the exact <laughs> term that I use when I describe this in, in speaking to people. You know, I, when I was reading this, I, I was really lost. I was in a very dark, bad place in my life. And, um, you know, I'm the prodigal son, I've been raised in a, in a wonderful home by uh, parents who love the Lord, and I had chosen to walk away uh, through a hundred small choices uh, that I didn't really realize had consequences. But by the time I, I probably started uh, drifting away when I was in my early teens, by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was gone. And uh, 
I had now gotten to the point I was about 20 years old as I'm reading this passage, and I just had, I was so lost and so confused um, that I, I, need, I needed help. And my mother had asked me to take a Bible with me to college, and so I pulled it off the shelves and began with Matthew. And as I began to read Matthew, and then I began to read Mark, the figure of Jesus Christ began to come alive for me again. I had known the Lord as a young man. I had talked to him uh, on a daily basis. I I really had a deep sense that I wanted to follow him. I was jealous of the apostles, uh, or at least the people alive at Christ. I figured I wasn't going to qualify as an apostle, but I I would have been one of those followers, uh, because I I just was fascinated by the figure of Christ. All of that had kind of faded into the background in my teenage years. And now as I'm reading Matthew, then Mark, and now early parts of Luke, the character of Christ is coming alive in my imagination, in my heart, in my mind. And as I'm reading along, and I'm just, now it's like watching a movie. As I get to Luke chapter 6, verse 46, I read that passage, and um, but it was as if the Holy Spirit had inserted an extra word in there when I read it. And again, it's like I'm reading the movie, I'm watching the movie as I'm reading, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm imagining Jesus Christ, uh, his face, and his eyes, and his voice, and I hear this extra word, Curtis, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And I literally felt like I'd been hit by a two-by-four in the gut. I dropped the Bible onto the desk that I was sitting at, and I, and I sat there, I had no response. If anyone had asked me, Curtis, why do you call, do you, do you call Jesus Lord? I would have said, of course he's Lord. If you had said, Jesus isn't God, I would have said, are you crazy? Of course he is. Uh, and, and yet, I didn't do anything that he said. He was not a central part of my life in any way, shape, or form. And the, the piercing, personal presence of Christ asking me and calling me out, saying, you call me Lord, but you don't do anything that I say. Um, and I, I don't know how long I sat there, Marcus, but I sat there. All I know is after a while I knew the sun was going down and it was time to go to dinner. And um, <laughs> this has become a, a fundamental life verse for me because uh, I, right. I, it, it's a call to integrity. Yeah. To uh, if, if Jesus is Lord, then he must be Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Uh, you can't say, well, I agree with 80% of what Jesus says. Uh, no, no, if Jesus is God, what he says is true, and you have to conform your life to it. And, uh, and, so, and that set me on a path that uh, the first Christians that I met who uh, were out on campus and, and knew uh, their faith were evangelicals, and so I, 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 w- I found myself uh, befriending and being befriended by them, uh, and that led me away from the sacraments for a period of time, but to a, uh, it was still, I, I would very much believe, I, to this day, a very much a spiritual retreat for the next several years, hmm. where Jesus worked on me uh, in a way that I don't recommend to people to leave the sacraments to do it, but I have to look <laughs> back and give thanks. And eventually, all the tools the evangelicals gave me, a deep love for Scripture and, and how to read it, uh, a deep love for personal prayer and how to do that, a deep commitment to unity uh, and being and being united with believers. All those things eventually led me back to the to the church that Christ founded, the Catholic Church. Um, but I was very grateful for that, and still to this day, find myself looking at Luke six forty six, and and asking myself almost in an examination of conscience: Am I submitting the the aspects of my life to the lordship of Christ? Are there ways in my life in which I call Him Lord, Lord, and still uh, after? 20-plus years of trying to follow the Lord on a daily basis still don't do what he says in certain areas. Well, I'm even, knowing you, Curtis, um, 
I'm quite sure that this life verse, which changed your life around, has also been one of the um, seeds that led to the formation of Focus, a fellowship of Catholic university students, because you're working with young people who in many ways are now just like you were, surrounded by young people who may have been brought up with Christian formation one way or the other, good or bad, but are now on college campuses where every conflicting voice is there actually enticing them to consider everything else in their life as Lord rather than Jesus. Absolutely. And, uh, Mark, I think there's a, uh, this is both true in evangelical and Catholic circles, I think we are tempted, I think the world speaks to us that even if we want to believe things about God and believe that God exists, our belief in him is that he is remote. He yeah. is up in the sky somewhere, and every once in a while you might be able to catch his attention, but for the most part he's really busy running things, or he's doing something else. Kind of a, 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 a faith that's been affected by deism, which yeah. would say that God made a good world uh, and, and then kind of stepped away from it. And we're trying to help people to see that God is so close to us. He, he, is, he is already intimately united with us, but we're not aware of it. In a, in a certain sense, much of evangelization is awakening people to that realization, uh, as St. Augustine said, you are closer to me than I am to myself. And so, and we want people to recognize, well, the reason Focus exists, Campus Crusade for Christ, Navigators, InterVarsity, they, they have tens of thousands of missionary staff out on college campuses, and, and they've wonderfully seen that this is a pivotal time. What struck me as I came back to the Catholic Church was, you shouldn't have to leave the church that Christ founded in order to find Christ. Yeah. We need to, the Catholic Church loses most battles on college campuses, not because we fight and lose, we lose by forfeit. We just don't show up. Mm-hmm. We have centers at many campuses, but the students don't go. We have to go to them mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and then lead them back to these centers so that they can experience the sacraments and, and come to know Christ more fully. But focus exists to be that outreach to meet students where they are on college campuses and, and introduce them to the God who is intimately real to them, uh, even though they don't know it yet. Curtis, we're going to take a break. When I get back, um, I'd like to pose a question to you. Is that part of the problem is, because maybe because we live in America, and uh, which is, uh, you know, the if anything, individualism is the, uh, is the key of America, but I'm wondering is part of the problem is that we, we do not understand lordship. What does that mean? You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord? I mean, all of us maybe grew up using the word Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus. But what does that mean, especially to college students? Let's talk about that when we come back from the break. Be great. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined today by Curtis Martin. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam. 
Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Curtis Martin, good friend, and uh, doing some really good work on college campuses in his program, Focus. Uh, as in the context of college campuses, Curtis, in America, do people understand what lordship means? I think lordship is uh, a challenge, and I'd say yes and no, Marcus. I think in some senses, lordship... Uh, is, uh, is a fairly uh, self-evident term. I think we actually chafe at it, which is the challenge. <laughs> that uh, you know, we, we actually sit back and say, wait a second, I, what about me and my freedom and my autonomy? And we view freedom from as the sense of freedom. And what the, the Catholic Church, what the, the Christian message, uh, what Jesus is here to say is that, it, that freedom is not a freedom from, but a freedom for. We are free to become who we were intended to be. That's the freedom Christ gives us, the, the freedom that is going to make us truly free indeed. And this flows into you know, the passage that um, is the second one we wanted to speak about, yes. which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, to recognize that for me to be free is to recognize that I'm, I, I've been created. That's the truth about me. I'm not a... a, a autonomous, uh, independent agent. I've been created, and for a purpose, a noble, mm -hmm. wonderful, amazing purpose. And this is the thing, the message I believe we've got to get out to people, that God has made us and called us to be truly amazing, to, to, to share, as St. Bonaventure says, in His glory. God was infinitely glorious before He created the universe, which not only means that uh, he, he had a lot of glory, it actually means He can't be any more glorious. So when He creates... He doesn't become more glorious, he manifests his glory, and as St. Bonaventure says, and shares it. And so we, we want to be able to recognize that we've been called to amazing heights, uh, not on our own merit at all, but graciously by God. And I love the words of Pope Benedict XVI in his opening Mass. He's, you, know, you can imagine he's <laughs> going to give his first homily as Pope. What do you say to the world? And one of my favorite lines uh, comes from his first homily as Pope. He's standing there in St. Peter's Square, and he turns to the world and he says, The world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And this is a message that we have to get out, because we live in a culture, in a world, that has never been better at offering comfort than it is right now. We are, un I mean, the, the average American lives better than kings and queens of just 200 years ago. Hot and running, uh, hot and cold running water, electricity, air conditioning, uh, it's amazing. Fast food. We are uh, we are living luxury. Even those who are in lower classes of the economy here. Yeah. And the problem is we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness, and you can't become great unless you step out of your comfort zone. And so, you know, for me, when I look at Ephesians one verse four, what strikes me about that is 
it's not as though God meets Marcus or Curtis or any one of the people that are listening today and says, hey, now that I've gotten to know you, i got some thoughts about what you could do with your life. No, it, he knew not only now, today, but he knew from the moment of your conception that why he created you. He loved the idea of you before there was a reality of you. But Ephesians goes much farther than that. It doesn't say he knew you from the moment of your conception. This, Ephesians 1 4 says he knew you, or at least the idea of you, from the foundations of the world. When God said, let there be light, he knew Marcus Grodi, Curtis Martin, and every single person who's listening to this, he knew what would make you happy, what would make you sad. He knew what would make you angry. He knew your strengths and your weaknesses. And he created you for a purpose and set you and I and everyone who's listening to us, brought us into existence in this generation, in this place in history, for a reason and a purpose. And when we discover what that purpose is, because we've come to know him and his plans for us, when we know that and begin to pursue him, that's the freedom mm-hmm. to become what we're meant to be. And people need to hear this, because this is the gospel message, the good news that you are here for a reason. Your life matters. My life matters. Every single life you're ever going to encounter matters. And, and that's a key gospel imperative for us to be able to get out to people, to recognize that his lordship is there to lead us to become who we're really meant to be. In fact, when the Church teaches what it does about the Blessed Virgin Mary and her Immaculate Conception, what that really means is Mary stands alone in history as the one human person who was everything she was intended to be. She was never marred by sin. All of us are, by the grace of God, growing in what we're meant to be. Mary always was what she was meant to be, by the grace of God. And that's a powerful uh, message for me to recognize, you know, wow, I've got a, a brief time here on Earth. Our lives, a million years from now, we're going to look back on our lives and they'll be of just a breath. We're going to, you know, I look even now, we can all look back and say, remember high school? Well, yeah, I can remember high What about second grade? I mean, boy, my memories of second grade could all be put on one page. There's going to be a point in our life when our entire life will be behind us. And, and we're going to look back on it and say, did we live for Christ? Did we become who we were meant to be? And if we did, all glory to God. You know, I'm wondering, Curtis, especially with your work with college-age students, if part of the problem that uh, many have with living out their faith f- fully and with the great confidence that we ought to have is because the, the great mysteries of the church especially the ones that most intimately touch us, are the hardest for us to believe. Let me give you an example. The Trinity and the divinity of Christ are two great mysteries. You know, three in one, all right? Or divinity of Christ, fully God, fully man. I mean, those are mysteries that are beyond our human ability to understand. But to a certain extent, they're very far from us. In other words, they, they're, they're concepts of how we try and understand God they really aren't far from us, but mentally they seem far. Let's come sure. a little closer. Transubstantiation. There before us in the Eucharist, we believe that that, that little wafer and that cup of, of wine are in fact the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a mystery that yeah. gets closer to us, but it's hard and difficult because of our senses. It's like, wait a second. Okay. Okay. But there's an even more intimate 
and you can see it particularly living out in Colorado. You go to a mountain and you look to the sky and you see a bazillion stars and you get the concept of the immenseness of God. And then you look down on Denver and you see all the lights and the bazillion people. And then there's the mystery that that huge creator of all the universe who created all those people yet cares for each one of us individually. That is even a more difficult mystery to believe than transubstantiation. Well, I, I would absolutely agree with you. I think that uh, when we look at the, at the, we step back and look at this sort of the theology of the church, it is filled. I mean, Matthias Shaven has a wonderful book, The Mysteries of Christianity, in which he, mm-hmm. I think the introduction in some ways is, is worth the value of the book all by itself, because in a sense he says the mysteries are themselves beyond our capacity to understand, but because of them, everything else makes sense. And it's like the sun. Uh, you really can't look at it, but because of it, you can look at everything else. Yeah. And, um, and, and so we have to recognize that. Where, where I think uh, what we, this is what we've done with the young people, and I think this is the way God wants it. Um, what we try to do through introducing them to the narrative of salvation history, we've let them look upon the face of Christ. And once they come to know the captivating figure of Christ, they are willing to let their minds begin to wrestle with the mysteries. If we introduce the mysteries first without a personal engagement in the person of Christ, I mean, this is actually the stumbling block with Islam. They chafe at our mysteries, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they would like to think that their faith, has, their understanding of God has no mysteries, except for the fact that God is, which is a big one. Uh, and <laughs> we, they, they mock Christians for belief in the Trinity. And we have to recognize that uh, the Trinity is actually... Uh, beyond our understanding, yep. but it also shows the power of of God in that within the Trinity, because God is eternally three persons, He is in His essence love. Allah can't be that because He has nothing to love uh, unless, until He creates something. So He's simply a master. He's actually a, a lesser God in their understanding of Him. We need to be able to show the power of the Christian God. But I think the way that we introduce people to him is through the meekness and the simplicity of the person of Jesus of Jesus Christ. Right. He stands before us and, and has emptied himself, uh, taking on humanity, and shows himself in all humility to still be everything he is in his divinity. Perfect love, um, perfect kindness, all merciful. And uh, I think young people come to love the figure, all people come to love the figure of Christ and what he has done for us that opens us up to desire to wrestle with the mysteries. You know, the beginning of verse 18 in this passage you've chosen, I think, is is very important, though it isn't as clear in the book of Ephesians of what Paul was talking about. I'm one that believes that that the book of Ephesians was really a baptismal sermon. In other words, the first three chapters, he's talking about what difference does your baptism make in your life, and then chapters four and six is, okay, now you've been baptized by grace, this is what, how you're supposed to live. And when he talks in the beginning of verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he's talking about something that has happened. And I think he's talking about baptism. In other words, you've, you've experienced the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Talk a bit about how the foundation for our ability to do what he's calling us is really a gift of God's grace that we receive through baptism that we may not always act on or take for granted. No, I mean, what is, what is given to us in baptism is real. 
but it has, as you said, it has to be acted upon. And this is where, you know, he's praying that the eyes of your heart would be opened. What, what is assumed there is that, uh, that our, our heart can, has the capacity yep. to actually grasp something that it hasn't yet grasped, but already has. And, and to be able to recognize this, so I just love the passage because it, it is really the prayer. And I think uh, it, in my work in Focus, we're, our, one of our primary mission fields are uh, Catholics who have been sacramentalized, but mm-hmm. not necessarily ever evangelized. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're like a prince born, uh, but not living in the palace. They don't realize their dignity. They don't realize what has the gift that's already been given to them. And so I love that sense of, uh, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened, that you might see what's already there, the riches, the treasures. Um, because I think so many Catholics uh, are tempted to live more uh, like Americans than like yeah. sons and daughters of God, yeah. because no one's ever told them they could live differently. And... Um, I, and this is true for all men and women, but I think there's a, a large number of people, that, and the, the recent popes have pointed this out, that uh, one of the issues of our day is that we have an enormous number of folks who have, in fact, been baptized, but are not living uh, a transformed life right now. But they, they have the capacity within them. I've sometimes uh, likened it to uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She's got those little slippers on the entire time. She yep. doesn't know how to use them. And uh, she has to figure out, figure that out. We have a gift, in fact, as, as Ephesians goes on, the beautiful passage that so many evangelicals have memorized, it being in chapter 2, verse 1, that goes on and says, For by grace we've been saved. Uh, all of this is reminding us of what, uh, what the gift of God does for us and in us so that we can live a transformed life, because we are His workmanship, created for good works. But those good works are, are what flows forth when we live the life of Christ that's freely given to us, not the doorway to get into that life. It's funny you mentioned uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz because, in fact, the very last time I saw that show, I've seen it 1,456,000 times, of course, <laughs> as you have too, but it struck me in that moment when the, when the, wick, uh, the good witch uh, tells her that you've had the ability all along. And I, I wanted to almost hear Dorothy say, well, then why didn't you tell me uh, three hours ago at the beginning of this movie. Um, and it, it struck me to think about, you know, sometimes the reason our young people are sacramentalized without being evangelized is that sometimes we adults assume that if they're on the conveyor, by the, con, on the conveyor belt of the sacramental catechetical system, that somewhere along the line they will know. But we yep. can't assume that. No, there's a beautiful passage. I've got this book in my hand right now by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger before he was pope called Gospel Catechesis and Catechism. And in the introduction of the book, he uh, exchanges a, or shares an exchange between himself and Hans Urs von Balthasar. And von Balthasar makes the point to him. He says, well, how are we going to uh, presuppose that they know the faith? He says, you, need, you can't presuppose. We must propose. We need to constantly remind people. In a certain sense, I would, I would argue what's the... Uh, the, the malaise of the, the church in the world today is a, a spiritual Alzheimer's. We don't yeah. know who we are. We don't know whose we are. We don't know who we're, in, who we're supposed to be in relationship with. And if we could recover that awareness, have our memory restored so that we know who we are, and that's what I think evangelization is, is sharing with people who they are, why they're here, and, and how God's love 
transforms every aspect of their life, then all of a sudden we, be, we remember the dignity to which we're called. Mm-hmm. We know who we're in a relationship with, and we live. Without it, it's, it's actually deadly to, to not have our memory restored. And it's a spiritual death. The Bible is very clear. There really are two types of people in the world, those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead in sin. And we really need to be able to share and call people out of that death, the death of a a spiritual forgetfulness, which um, even though we have the the capacity at our fingertips for the asking, uh, particularly those who have have already been baptized, uh, those who haven't, they can certainly come to the Church and receive freely what the Church offers. Uh, but to, to be able to call people to that, I think, is really the work of evangelization, to share with them that, that Christ has died for our sins. In fact, uh, in that same book, Carter Ratzinger makes the point that we need to, each of us, be able to state with St. Paul that Christ has died for me, as he yeah. does in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Mm-hmm. It's very personal. The, uh, the, there are two presumptions um, one that's common amongst Catholics and one that's common amongst evangelicals that can s- prevent people from growing in holiness, growing in their commitment, uh, advancing. I'm one that uh, Father Gary Lagrange makes a statement, in the ways of God, he who does not progress loses ground. And yeah. so I, I do not presume that anybody ever arrives at a level that they can then sit back and say, well, at least I've gotten this far along in holiness. No, if you're not progressing, you're losing ground. But there are two presumptions that stand in the way, and we're going to take a break in a moment, but when we come back, let's talk about these. Because uh, amongst evangelicals, a common presumption is one saved, always saved. You know, right. I, I accepted Jesus 20 years ago on a certain Tuesday at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and and now I'm saved. And that's a presumption that can can really prevent people from moving closer to Jesus. Catholics, well, I, you know, I go to Mass, I said the beads, you know, and I've done this all my life, and so they're on the conveyor belt, and then they can, it can stop them from moving on. But Paul says in verse 18, his desire is that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that we may know what is the hope. Curtis, talk, when we get back, what does it mean to know the hope? Does that mean that we we once saved, always saved? Or that I can presume that these sacraments are going to save me in the end? He wants us to know what is the hope. We'll talk about that when we get back. Great. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Curtis Martin. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. 
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Today, our guest is Curtis Martin. Just want to remind you that next Monday night on The Journey Home, our guest will be Alan Kloon. He's uh, going to talk about his journey of faith from Episcopalianism into the Catholic Church. That's Monday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Standard Time on the Journey Home program. And then also next week on Deep in Scripture, our guest will be Father Leonard Klein. That's next Wednesday at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. All right, Curtis, Paul said in Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What's he mean by that? Well, I'm hoping you're going to share. You're, you're going to join with me on this. Of course, I will tell you what what I what he's been showing me in prayer is, and it flows from from what was stated in, in verse four, that God has chosen us in Christ from the foundation of the world. So, every everything you and I do, every thought we have, everything has to be uh, given over to Christ because His plan is not just uh, a static plan. Every day. Every moment of your life and mine, as it's submitted to the Lordship of Christ, gives infinite meaning and purpose to it. And for us to take our foot off the gas and say, hey, I've already arrived, I've already gotten there, is to miss the point. Yes, there are certain uh, achievements. If you are are baptized and and believe in Christ, that's great. But as you said a moment ago, life is not given to you to not live. Life is given to you, whether it's natural or supernatural life, is given to you so that you might live. And to be able to, to press on and to recognize that there is an arduous goal. Uh, the Church exists in order to evangelize, we are told. It's her deepest identity. The world, uh, we know, is dying in, in darkness uh, without the knowledge and love of Christ. And so we need to, to press on. And as we do, as we become men and women who are committed to sharing the good news in every thought, in every word, every action, we, we begin to become who we are, but that's hard work because, you know, I don't know about you, Marcus, but I'll tell you, I've been following the Lord now as an adult for about 25 years. And um, some of the stuff that I was able to get rid of by the grace of God when I was in my 20s, uh, I'm very grateful to have gotten rid of. But there's some dark spots still in my heart. Oh, yeah. 25 years into it, I, it's there for a reason. I must kind of like it. And so uh, I, when I run up against something I really need to repent of now, I need to really... Uh, go before Lord and say, I don't know why I've held on to this, Lord. Well, as a matter of fact, I've been, I was going to tell you, I've been walking since my adult awakening uh, now 20 or 37 years. And what I'm finding is that sometimes I'm just discovering great flaws in my understanding of myself and what it means to do what the Lord tells me. And, you know, in this passage about knowing what is the hope what what that seems to me really talks about is not just this servant master lordship that many people understand, but the word know in scripture is a very intimate thing. Yes. To really know uh, this hope means that it's a very intimate, not just a mental knowledge, but it really involves all that we are drawing us to an intimate union with our Lord Jesus. Um, and the great spiritual writers talk about, but sometimes we think that's for them. It's not for me, but the point is it is, because Paul wanted it for every one of us. Isn't that right? It's absolutely right. And it, you, know, you, you lay stress on the, the no, and the first words uh, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church are the quote from John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus himself gives the, the clearest definition of eternal life. 
this is eternal life, that they may know you, the yeah. one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And you're right, that word know, in English, it's, a, it's kind of a sloppy word. In, in Spanish, we, we have two different words, to saber, to be acquainted with a fact, I know that two plus two is four, and conocer, to be acquainted with a person. Mm-hmm. to have knowledge. But Jesus wasn't even speaking Spanish. He's speaking Aramaic or Hebrew. The word to know there is much more rich, because when Adam knew Eve, she conceived a son. Yeah. It is a deep, personal, covenantal, intimate knowledge and uh, that, it, that is, is all of our person drawn up into this. And you can see St. Paul almost yeah. straining himself as he makes his statement in verse 18, I wish that you could know the depths and uh, just how great this is, that God loves us so much. The love of God is absolutely amazing and awesome. It should wow us, you know, into into action and into uh, inactivity, into prayer. But it should, we should just, I mean, I I find myself uh, in this last six months or year or so, as I've been looking at these themes, why I chose uh, particularly the Ephesian passages, which have been, been very real to me in the last year or so, uh, they become the central lens in which I'm processing every piece of data. You know, if I'm stuck in a traffic jam, <laughs> I don't know, God's got a specific plan as to why I'm not going faster, even though I'm tempted to frustration. If I'm processing uh, a disagreement with somebody or a success, all of this within the lens that God is intimately active in every aspect of my life and calling me and every person I ever meet to an amazing passionate life that le- that ends in this world with eternal life and complete beatitude. In fact, let me throw in with this another one for you to reflect on while we got just a few more minutes, because uh, two chapters later, Paul even expands on this simple statement in verse 18. He expands at the end of chapter 3 when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the length, the breadth, length, and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't Paul saying he, our baptisms are just an open door to a whole lot more that he wants for us? No, and you, you talk about this mystery. I mean, he, his prayer is that we will know something which surpasses knowledge. Yeah. I mean, he, his word, <laughs> this ocean of mercy that, uh, that God is. And, you know, I work with college students, and unfortunately, most of them are walking wounded. They have been uh, profoundly mm-hmm. wounded by this culture and have made decisions that have uh, brought that wounding uh, to, to home to themselves. And they, but they frequently feel great, a great sense of guilt. And guilt in its proper context can be a great motivator, but if it, if it keeps you from reaching out and crying out for mercy because you don't think you're worthy, and we're, one of the messages we're trying to get out is you can't out his love for you, but you can refuse to respond to it, yeah. to his mercy. And, and that would be the ultimate tragedy. That we need to recognize that there is no sin, that God, God on the cross, dying for you and for me, not for us, but for you and for me, Personally, specifically, we're, ta- we're taught in, in Galatians chapter 2 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, back up, Christ had specific personal knowledge of each one of us as he went through his passion. And to be able to personalize that and recognize that he knew then what I would have done when I was 17 or 18, to my great horror, but he, he never stopped loving me. It is his, because he's true to himself. It is an ocean of mercy and love 
that we've got to call people back to. And what we're seeing, thanks be to God, is young people are responding. This, this generation of young people are responding to the gospel uh, like no frequent, no generation in the recent past. They are open, and what we need, the fields have never been more white, but we need workers. I mean, we're in the process of hiring about 80 new full-time missionaries for focus right now this spring so we can expand to new campuses and, uh, and, and do different things. And yet we could, uh, if we could build the infrastructure, we could use not just 80, but we could use 800 or 8,000 because there's so much work to do on the college campus. Uh, and, and that's just one very pivotal, very central part of our culture. There isn't an aspect in our culture from conception to natural death that doesn't really need to be uh, brought into the light of Christ in a profound way. Well, let me just remind the audience, if you want to know more about Focus and what Curtis is doing, doing his website is posted on the deepinscripture.com website, but let me also tell it to you, you can go to curtismartin.org or go to focusonline.org to find out more what they're doing. Curtis, um, you know, I, I'm thinking that there might be somebody listening to us that really feels distant from God and maybe maybe upstairs in their mind they've had all the sacraments and they know it all. And I'd like to pose a suggestion, and, and maybe your thoughts on this, Curtis. I'd like to challenge someone who's listening, really wants to get back to, to Jesus. I'm going to propose a particular novena, in other words, to pray this for nine days. Just in the morning, I want you to say ten times very slowly the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pray that ten times very close. not magic. I want you to focus on Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do that every morning for nine days. Curtis, I think something like that is the way we can refocus ourselves. Don't you think? I do, and I think it's a great suggestion. The key, I mean, the, the, the Jesus prayer is powerful because the, even the name of Jesus itself is, is powerful, as the Catechism tells us in 2666, just to be able to pray that way. Yeah. And if people want to contact, maybe you've got somebody on your heart who's away, contact us on our webpage. We've got a free booklet called Bringing Loved Ones Home that we'd make available to you. Yeah, if you've listened to the program today. Excellent. Great being with you, Marcus. Curtis, thanks so much, and God bless you and your work and your family. You and yours as well. All right. Thank you, my friend. All of you for listening, thank you. Hope this has been encouragement to you. That little challenge, again, it's not magic. It's prayer. Talking to focus on Jesus. Take some time, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And a prayer like that, or the rosary, the Our Father, the Glory Be, Hail Mary, all these are directing our minds and hearts to Him so that the eyes of our hearts, which have been enlightened, might know the hope that is in us in Jesus Christ. God bless you. See you next week.